WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. This episode contains discussion about human-wildlife conflict and violence that could be disturbing for some listeners. Today we'll be talking to Kelsey Merrick-Wagner about her research on the balance between human-elephant interaction of captive and wild elephants. Kelsey, can you please introduce yourself and your research for us? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I am sort of a lot of things. I am an elephant lover. I am an activist artist. And I'm also a second-year PhD student in the anthropology department at Michigan State. And I'm also doing specializations in gender, justice, and environmental change, human-animal studies, and community engagement. And my work focuses on human-elephant relationships in Southeast Asia, mainly in Thailand and Cambodia. So I look at the cultural, social, and historical contexts of human-nature interactions and environmental practices and think about what kind of solutions, including community-based conservation, we can have to work towards coexistence for all species. So I'm using activist art as a form of science communication to inform, educate, raise awareness, and encourage others to be advocates and stewards of the environment. Thanks for jumping on the show today, Kelsey. There's a wide range of species of animals that exist within the Asian continent. Why in particular are you studying elephants out of everything else? I've been obsessed with elephants ever since I was a little kid, but I was not able to really experience them until I was doing research in Chiang Mai, Thailand during my master's degree. And I started working with Elephant Nature Park, which is a sanctuary for retired elephants who now live out their lives in the sanctuary. And I realized it was a really awesome opportunity to work on the cultural side of conservation. Elephant Nature Park sounds like a really great place. You had mentioned community-based conservation as well. And I'm wondering, what does that mean particularly? Is everyone in the community working towards it? Or is it like a nonprofit that is trying to involve the community to help with the conservation? Elephant Nature Park is run by a local Thai woman from the Karin Hill Tribes. Her name is Lek Chilert, and she only hires local Thai people for her conservation and elephant ecotourism projects. And they are part of a larger foundation called the Save Elephant Foundation. Together, they have rescued over 100 elephants that now live out their lives on the sanctuaries. And these sanctuaries are places that tourists can come and visit. And so there are lots of local people that are employed to help with the elephants, that are employed in hospitality and farming, which is all different jobs around the park that gets people involved in conservation and also uplifts and empowers their families and the community at large. So Elephant Nature Park contracts with some of the local farmers to buy their produce at above market rates, and they feed that produce to the captive elephants that are on the sanctuary. And then the elephants go about their business, and some of the tourists that come to volunteer pick up the elephant business, and it is put back in a compost, which is then given back to those farmers so that they have good, healthy dirt to keep growing their crops. And through these contracts, they also agree that they won't have violence against elephants if they see wild elephants coming to raid their crops. And so 
One of the major issues is that when wild elephants are after crops, humans will use violence to deter them. And so one of those things they do is shooting them with different kinds of weapons and guns and also placing bombs inside of pumpkins or watermelons. As people know, elephants are quite large, and I would imagine that they would need a lot to eat, which is probably why they're wandering into other crops and where farmers are growing their food. This kind of reminds me, actually, about an episode we once did very early on when we started The Sci-Files, where we were talking about wildlife conflict in Africa. But in this case, we're talking about Asia. And I remember that there is also a lot of conflict between the farmers and the wildlife because of the fact that humans are expanding into the forest area. And because of this expansion, the animals were retaliating, trying to get back their land back in to get the food over there. Does a similar thing happen where you're studying in Southeast Asia? Yeah, that's exactly right. So there's a lot of deforestation, commercial development, and large-scale agriculture with human population growth, which means that the humans and elephants are in increasingly closer proximity. So what happens, like you said, is elephants, animals are hungry. They're going to go after food that was in areas they used to live in. And so there's a lot of different solutions that communities are trying to come up with to deter elephants in ways that aren't violence. So one of these is thinking about the different foods that elephants like. So they love pumpkins, bananas, pineapples, sugarcane, bamboo, all kinds of things that grow in Southeast Asia. But they really don't like chilies. So a lot of areas are planting buffer crops like chilies, which keep the elephants out. And then the community members can also use and sell the chilies in local markets. Another solution has been to use beehives. Elephants are terrified of bees, so by placing beehives around the perimeters of crops, they're too scared to get in. And then a lot of other places are thinking about different community solutions where they set up watchtowers, they have guides, and they have warning systems. So when elephants are starting to come into community land, they can warn everyone and try to keep the elephants out of the area. And then lastly, some other solutions are electric fences, which will shock elephants and keep them out. And then also creating wildlife corridors so that elephants have paths to roam to get to water and food outside of villages instead of having to walk through them and trample people, trample crops, and ruin infrastructure. It makes sense that there are these various methods of deterrence to keep the elephants away from the crops. Regarding domesticated elephants, how does one quote-unquote domesticate an elephant? And what does that process involve? Captive elephants are part of a major animal welfare concern in Thailand. There's about 3,500 captive elephants remaining in Thailand today. And what happens is that wild elephants are captured from their herds when they're young babies. And then they undergo a process called the pajan, which is a process where all of the elephant's limbs, their trunk, and their tail are tied down to posts, and they're beaten and tortured for about a week. This is supposed to remove the familial and emotional ties the elephant has with their herd so that they'll become more docile and can be used in different industries, including logging, tourism, elephant rides, and circuses. Well, Kelsey, that's honestly really depressing to think about. I really feel bad for the elephants. Is this a process that's used all over the world or only for the elephants in Southeast Asia? 
This method is largely used in South and Southeast Asia, where the elephants are relatively smaller than African elephants, who are much harder to tame and even try to domesticate. But this process has been going on for thousands of years. Elephants were once used for war and for transport before being used for logging and now for tourism. But one of the major problems with this process, the Pajan, is that it's largely kept secret. And so many tourists that are excited to visit Thailand or other Southeast Asian countries with elephants, they want to go ride an elephant because they think that's a way of being close to the animal. It's something exciting and new. But they have no idea that each of the elephants had to undergo this really abusive process in order to provide the elephant rides. And then another problem is that in order to keep the elephants in line, keep them following directions, mahuts, which are the elephant handlers, will use special hooks on the elephant's ears to pull at them and force them to walk and act in certain ways. Well, these are absolutely terrible practices I'm hearing about right now, and I just feel horrible for those elephants that are being domesticated. I have to ask, where does your anthropology research play a role when it comes into these practices or the relationship between elephants and humans in general? I think anthropology is a really great discipline for considering all of the different contexts of human-environment relationships. And so by using different sort of cultural and social theories, I'm able to think about the ways that people interact with elephants over a long period of time, what that meant in the past, and what that means in the present. And so that really helps us think through sort of new environmental policies and conservation interventions that pay careful attention to what communities need, what's important in their lives, and also think about what environmental and social justice means, not just for humans, but for the, the elephants and the animals and the ecosystems they live with. In your research, since you're studying the human interactions with these elephants, and in particular in the region of Southeast Asia, elephants are very prevalent. In fact, elephants are really significant in some religions, such as Buddhism and Hinduism. But in your research, have you come across any programs where these different religious groups may help these elephants that are being mistreated, such as the domestication or that need help? Yeah, so one thing that happens in Thailand in particular is that people make merit, which is when you give a gift to the local temples and the monks. And in the past, there were a lot of elephants that were given to these different temples, and it became difficult for monks to be able to care for all of the elephants as well as other animals they were given on the temple grounds. And so over time, a lot of different monks at these temples have built up relationships with some of the conservation groups and organizations like Elephant Nature Park and work to transfer some of these elephants to sanctuaries where they'll live out the rest of their life healthy and happy and not locked up. And then there are also a lot of movements related to Buddhist monks that are working to promote environmental practices to local farmers and communities. And so there was a really big movement in Thailand that started in the 90s where monks would ordain trees and they would tie their orange saffron robes to trees, ordaining them as deities. And then people refused to cut down the trees and it was a way of stopping deforestation. 
So a lot of really cool projects that monks have been involved in have started to catch on, especially since there's such a huge Buddhist population in Thailand. They are really positioned to be excellent leaders of conservation and environmental stewardship. I think it's great that religious leaders are teaching their followers to be stewards for the environment and to help make sure that the environment will be able to last for generations. Since your research is mainly focused in Thailand, have you had the opportunity to actually go and visit and study the relationship between humans and elephants on a personal basis? Or have you been conducting your research virtually? During my master's research is when I first went to Thailand and started working in Chiang Mai, volunteering and doing research about Elephant Nature Park. So as a volunteer, I got to get up close and personal with the elephants, which was really heartbreaking to see a lot of the pain a lot of them had gone through, but also really uplifting to think about ways that people can get involved in helping the environment and helping elephants. And so I was able to do research there for a while. And then after my master's, I actually moved to Cambodia and I was a little bit in and out of Cambodia and Thailand during that time. I was working for an organization called Fauna and Focus, which was a wildlife media and nature discovery center. And so I worked on their exhibitions, coordinating, coming up with different activities, exhibits, and education for the Natural History Museum. And through that, I also got to work with an organization called Elephant Valley Project in Cambodia, which is also an elephant sanctuary. So through both of those different research and work opportunities, I've really got to see some really beautiful relationships between humans and the elephants that they've saved and continue to care for. It's interesting that you created an activity so that people could learn more about what was happening to these elephants. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the programs that you helped create? So Fauna and Focus Nature Discovery Center is a museum that's open to all different ages, and we have tons of different activities. So it's sort of like if you go to the Field Museum in Chicago, there's all kinds of exhibits with different information and images. There are games that kids, young adults, grown-ups can play. There are interactive components and features where people can measure different animal bones, look at bird feathers. So just sort of all different kinds of interactive and engaging activities that help people learn new information in an interesting and exciting way. Through the Nature Discovery Center, we also ran educational programming for local school groups. And so they were able to come in and learn about environmental stewardship, endangered species, and then come up with different projects to raise awareness about environmental issues. For those of you just tuning in to hear the Sci-Files, Kelsey, could you give our audience a quick overview of what the goal of your research is? And what do you hope to achieve by performing this anthropological research on the relationship that humans have with elephants? I'm really trying to think about radical new methodologies that we can use to build understandings of human-environment relationships. And so as both an artist and an anthropologist, I'm interested in thinking about how activist art can be used as a form of science communication that has a really big impact in terms of raising awareness, bringing people together, building community and economic development, and using activism to change the environmental problems communities face today. 
So I'm especially interested in working with local community groups, especially younger school students who are the future conservation leaders and thinking about the sort of exciting new methods that they want to use to raise awareness and come up with solutions, especially for human-elephant conflict. I think it's great that you're practicing activist art. What type of art or what type of art pieces have you created, and are they on different types of media? I have done a lot of different art projects. Some of them I do sort of all on my own. My background is in studio art, and I have a really constant need to be making things. So I've done some exhibits, surprise, surprise, about elephants, where I blended some of the data from my research and then made giant life-sized elephants out of recycled paper and then paired that with information about different conservation projects. And then I've also done lots of group art projects. One of the things I'm really interested in is using trash for art, because I think this is a great way to sort of rally communities around environmental problems, dredging all of the trash out of our rivers, our roads, our greenways, and then using that in a really creative way to come up with something that says something about the environment. So there's a project that I did in Cambodia with some of the local school students where we collected hundreds and hundreds of plastic bottles from the rivers, the roads, all over. And then we painted those bottles uh, a bunch of different colors. The students voted on an animal that we wanted to make from the trash. So they chose the Southern River Terrapin, which is an endangered species in Cambodia. And we placed all of the plastic bottles out in this field and made a giant terrapin, which we filmed using a drone. And then we made an informative educational video that we shared widely across Cambodia and sort of all around the world. But it was a really great project in terms of having students come together, use their creativity, get to know each other talk about the environment, what they're proud about, where they live, and then make something really exciting to share with other people. That's a really creative and innovative idea that you were able to accomplish with the local communities in Cambodia. As you were mentioning earlier in this interview, you've been thinking about developing methodologies that you can provide suggestions to help improve the relationships between humans and elephants. However, how do you actually know which one is going to be the most effective methodology regarding that interaction? Has there been any data collection over a period of time that you've performed that have allowed you to pinpoint which methodology was actually working the best? And if not, are there any plans for that in the future? So there isn't really an easy answer to that question. With community-based conservation, there is nothing that's one-sized-fits-all. So there's been a lot of successes in certain areas that then don't work in different areas. So it's really sort of thinking about blending these different solutions, thinking about the buffer crops, the beehives, the watchtowers, and the corridors. So there are people around the world working in African and Asian countries to see what different methods work. But I'm hoping that my dissertation research will continue to explore this and think about which ones are most effective. And this especially means thinking about long-term solutions. So it's always an issue where conservation professionals and academics go into communities. They work on conservation solutions. There's a lot of excitement. But then once funding and support is gone a few years later, it's really hard for communities to keep up with some of the same methods. So I'm hoping that my community-based research will really help identify 
what practices can be most sustainable, why communities are interested in using them, and making sure that they have the resources to continue them into the future. I know that people are listening to the Sci-Files globally, and just for people's reference, we're in North America, and I personally have never been to the continent of Asia. I see on the map that Asia is extremely large, but maybe you could help us understand a little bit better, Kelsey, about how many elephants there are in this region that you're studying. Elephants are sort of hard to locate. So for wild elephants, we think that there's about 30,000 wild elephants remaining in Southeast Asia and South Asia. In particular, we think there are about 3,000 to 3,700 wild elephants in Thailand. And in Cambodia, there's only about 200 to 300 wild elephants. And there is a statistic that says that one elephant dies every 15 minutes from poaching. So if you think about that in the space of an hour, about four elephants will die from poaching alone. And then, of course, there's a host of other different problems elephants face, whether they are wild or captive, based on conflict and animal welfare. These are really alarming things that you're telling me. Hopefully through these interviews that we conduct with student researchers, people can become more aware of the problems that plague different areas around the world. Regarding your future, Kelsey, after you finished up your PhD research, what are you interested in pursuing once you're done? Are you interested in going back to Southeast Asia to work more closely with these elephants? That's a good question and one that I feel like my answer is changing every time someone asks me for the last 30 years. I would say I'm kind of torn between two things. One of them would be working in a curatorial context, sort of in a museum, like a natural history museum, or an art gallery or museum that focuses mainly on social and environmental justice through art. I'm really interested in incorporating art, culture, and environment in a way that can engage and educate the public. And then on the other side of things, I absolutely love living in Southeast Asia, eating noodles and seeing elephants all the time. So I am keeping my options open and thinking about different employment opportunities in community-based conservation settings, whether that's something I would do from an organization in America and travel abroad or live full-time overseas. But either way, I'm really interested in promoting and advocating for elephants, for the environment, and for the people that live with them. That all sounds amazing to me. I hope that you also continue your art with activism because I believe also that art is very important, no matter what stage of your career. And you could still do that and inspire others while telling them all the important information that you just told us today. Thank you so much again for joining us today, Kelsey, and good luck on the rest of your research. Thank you so much, Chelsea and Daniel. It was great talking to you. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>